Turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Judges, chapter 13. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there's blue Bibles under the chair in front of you. We're going to read Judges, chapter 13. And we've been working through this great book of Judges. And I'm hoping you're seeing the patterns that have been set long ago in the ancient world uh, through God's people in Israel were little previews, little dim hints of what God would do later through Jesus. Uh, So that as we learn about these older saints who lived in much more, in much violent, more violent times in some ways, uh, we're we're actually learning about Jesus and how to follow him. and today we come to the probably one of the more famous ones from Judges. We're going to start the Samson narratives. And uh, Samson, obviously we named, our, we named our fourth child after him, so we're, we're fans. And here we're going to uh, learn about Jesus through the life and faith and eventually death of Samson. Today we start with the birth. And so let's, let's read it, and we will pray and see what, see what the Lord teaches us about the birth of Samson. This is God's word. It says, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for forty years. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren, and she had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to the God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name, but he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, so then drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now, when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life and what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, or let her drink wine or strong drink, or eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name, so that when your words come true, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, 
Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, or shown us all these things, or now announced to us such things as these. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahana Dan between Zorah and Eshtal. And this is God's word. It is true and trustworthy and, and spoken to us in love. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I pray that you would show us wonderful things in your word, that you would give us good news that speaks to us where we are at, in the midst of uh, darkness, suffering, in the midst of selfishness and sadness. So this morning, show us Jesus, who is our better than Samson rescuer, and chase away our unbelief, so that we might, well, we might live as children of the light, as you are light. Because as you promise, everyone who looks to Jesus is radiant. Help us do that today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got two jobs that I want to do for you this morning. I want to introduce you to this great uh, man of faith, Samson, and, and just let you know how I'm going to talk about him over the next four weeks. But then we also want to see the good news that's proclaimed here and pointed to at Samson's birth, because there are patterns that are repeated, as, as I've already made clear, right? We sang Christmas songs in June. And so here, by way of introduction, Samson is listed in Hebrews 11 as a great man of faith. Um, he's, he's one of the more well-known characters in the Old Testament for his superhuman strength. Uh, maybe, I'm sure if you've grown up in the church, you've definitely heard of him. You know, the, maybe you've seen some flannel graph pictures of big muscles and long, long flowing, wonderfully conditioned hair. Right? He and Jesus must have the same hairdresser. <laughs> All these old pictures. But Samson has a, a really bad reputation. You don't think of Samson as a man of faith. We think of him as a man of impulse, a man of the world, a man of somebody to not learn from, not somebody that, that God himself would call in Hebrews, someone that the world was not worthy of. Right. And so, for example, Hollywood, when they think of Samson, there's a, a, a movie in 1949, Samson and Delilah, made by Cecil de Bemille. It actually was the first Avengers movie that exploded the box office. I mean, it... Back in the 50s, everybody went and saw Samson and Delilah, which tells you how much culture has changed. Right? And if, if I had a movie trailer voice, this would sound better, but this is how they describe Samson. Now, relive the colossal drama of the mightiest colossus who ever lived. His daring exploits have become legend as he single-handedly defeated the enemies of his age. And so for shattering thrills, earth-shaking excitement, for savage drama, come and watch Samson. And that's, that's the old trailer. And it ends with uh, the typical take on Samson. 
being seduced by Delilah, and he, he falls into her, her arms, and he calls her a daughter of hell before he kisses her, and then it fades. And it tells you that they don't... Samson has this great strength, but when it comes to morals, he's a character of great weakness. And so we gotta, we got to work on that. I, I'm of the opinion that Samson has a bad reputation, and I'm going to try and convince you from the scriptures that he is a role model. He is somebody who lived in... in Difficult times, it was hard to be a follower of God when nobody else around him was, and the story is told intentionally that way. Right? That Samson, even though he marries a Philistine, uh, told not to drink alcohol, but there was alcohol at his wedding. He writes some clever poetry after slaying Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. He falls in love with Delilah, a literal lady of the night, and betrayed unto death. All of that is going to help us understand Jesus. But we have to overcome his bad reputation. Because here's, here's what Christians say about Samson. In this man, we witness a classic example of all brawn and no brain. He's just a sex-addicted Nazarite. Here's someone else. Here's a, here's a fellow who shatters our molds of what a, a servant of God should look like. A wild donkey of a man. They say it uh, not so politely. Uh, he's unpredictable, so promising, yet so tragic. He's completely unlike what a Christian should be. Or Samson, vandalizing wheat fields, amusing himself with puns about mass slaughter. He was intemperate, immature, motivated by everything and anything but reverence for God. Right, he's been called a Hebrew Hercules, mixed with a bit of Hugh Hefner. Right. So, so you see that the tension here. Hebrews says he's this great man of faith of which the world is not worthy. There are, 15, there are 20 things listed of great men and women of the faith. Samson fulfills 15 of them. Right. Three quarters you could, you could apply to Samson. And so we've got to ask, um, what, is, what actually happens? We're going to dig in and we're going to look at... Um, we're going to look at the birth narrative, which gives us great hope for the trajectory of his story. But here's what I think happens, is if you love morality and, and, and morality is shown in ways that, that looks uncomfortable, right? Samson does things that we would probably counsel our teenage sons not to do. Um, it's easy to just come with a straight, we want moral heroes. We want our heroes to be blazing bright examples of traditional morality who always take a stand and do the right thing no matter the cost. Samson does do the right thing no matter the cost, but in a world full of immorality, it looks a little fuzzy at times. And in our modern age, we don't trust moral heroes. We tear down heroes. We, that's, just kind of, that's what the internet does. If somebody looks like they are better than us, we love to poke holes and prove that they're not better than us. Right, so Samson, Samson gets a bad rap, and part of that, is, I think, is just our culture. Of we don't, it, when we look at someone like Samson, a great man of faith, it makes us feel unworthy. And uh, I want to help you see that Samson it should draw us closer as we see Jesus. Because Samson, like no other, is going to help you understand Jesus. He's right up there with David and Moses. Uh, the David's the only other man who tore apart a lion, who killed a lion with his bare hands. The only other person who drank water from a rock, that's Moses. Samson. Moses and Samson. He's an elite company. And so he is the light of faith in the darkness of unbelief. The tragedy, as we're going to look at here in a moment, 
It's not Samson. It's the fact that God has been so good to his people and they have completely turned their backs on him. That's at the point where we are in the story. The tragedy is not the deliverer, but the people of God who've forgotten the God who loves them and made them and redeemed them. And Israel's living as if God doesn't exist. That's the world in which Samson came. So, let's look at Samson's birth story. Now I've given you a preview, and hopefully you'll come back the next few weeks to see how the story turns out. Uh, The birth is going to teach us and show us what it looks like when God's people don't ask for help. Then we're going to see how the Savior is born and what that communicates, and then we're going to ask just briefly here at the end, how do you live in light of a, a birth story that's true like the Christmas story? So what does it look like uh, when God's people don't want help? Why should you and I care as modern people about Samson's story? And the answer is, Samson was sent to rescue people just like us. Look at 13 verse 1. And two, it says, The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. And then it tells the story about a man named Manoah. Now, if you've been tracking with the story, what's missing? If we've been coming through judges and the the pattern is over and over again, God raises up a judge Uh, To save the people from oppression, from their own idolatry, they've turned their backs on the Lord again and again, God saves them. But before God would raise up the deliverer in every other case, at some point they ask God for help. That's what's missing here. Israel, for 40 years now, is doing whatever they want, and they haven't even gotten to the point where they say, God, I need you in my life. They never really repented before. They just said, God, life stinks, bail me out. But now when you get to to the Samson story, you have God raising up a deliverer, a judge, a rescuer to save people who aren't even looking up. They aren't asking God for help. There's no desire for change. There's no cry for rescue. There's no plea for God to save them from the Philistines. It turns out they like life under the Philistines. A people who are cruel and oppressive and violent and, and drunkards, and you know, it's a mess. They're not being treated well by these overlords, but they prefer that to the God who loves them. Right. Israel has, it's kind of like Stockholm Syndrome. They've fallen in love with their captor. They're blinded by the power of everyday life, and they just don't look up. They're consumed with the ordinary. And that is why this is so relevant, because this is us in our day and age. It's so human, where we spend most of our days just not looking up, forgetting that this world is created, that the whole world is enchanted, uh, bristling with God's presence and his goodness and all of his good gifts, and we just do what we want when we want it. We don't look up. And more realistically, and I think this is what happens with our neighbors and uh, even in, our, in, in the hearts of Christians as we become functional atheists, sometimes God just disappears from our thoughts, from our conversations uh, with, our, with our own selves and with our others. Right? I'm, just, I'm just doing my thing. I'm just putting my head down. I'm just plowing through work. Life stinks. I'm, I'm just not thinking about the reality that God made me, that Jesus is on his throne, and he has a plan for my life. That's, that's the people that Samson came to save. And that's what makes this so beautiful, because this is the most dramatic rescue in the book. 
that you are seeing God being faithful to his promise, even if his people are completely unfaithful. You're seeing God's steadfast, one-way love for his loyal love to people who don't deserve it. People who are completely blind to their own blindness. They are. The Lord sees them. They don't even care whether they see the Lord or not. That's going to be the, the picture throughout these narratives. So in a time when no one seeks for God, no, not one, God raises up Samson. And so that's what this story is about, that Samson from the womb, ultimately to his death in the tomb, it's all about God and his unconditional grace, his one-way love for his people. And he sends a deliverer for people who were not looking for help. That's the theme of the book. And this is where it shines most brightest, that God is a God of grace. It is costly, his costly grace. It's an undeserved gift that when we are the most faith, unfaithful, the most stubborn, the most foolish, the most blind to the goodness of our God, that's when God does his greatest miracles of deliverance. And it, here it's through Samson. That's the whole point. <laughs> we need, that's what I need to wake me up, to get me to think about God, a God whose grace and healing is stronger than my selfishness, it's stronger than my stony, stubborn heart. It changes my mind. Uh, a grace that's fiercer than my foolishness. It helps me live as God wants me to live. Uh, a God who comes and shines his light on my eyes helps me see to penetrate the thick fog of me <laughs> and my unbelief. And so that's the point. And this sounds an awful lot like Christmas. That when God's people don't ask for help, when humanity doesn't ask for help, God sends a rescuer to wake us up, to shine light in our darkness. Now, now this is what you, I want to ask is, why don't they ask for help? They're doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Why don't they ask for help? One of the themes in the Samson story is that God sees, but Israel does not see. And so you're going to see these seeing terms come up over and over again. Because it's a story about Israel separated from God, the God who loves them, and they, they're not even aware of it. They're blind to their own sin. They're blind to their unhealthy loves, their unhealthy addictions. When you want to know what Israel's like, look at Samson at the end of his life. Blind, eyes cut out, bound and forced to serve the Philistines while they mock, torture, and abuse. That's what it's like to be Israel. Right, so Samson is raised to give sight to the blind, to us, to, to God's unfaithful people. And here's why I want to pause, because when, if you're in the church, uh, you grow up in the church, and you hear this refrain, even as you're, you're reading through Judges over and over again, you hear, God's people did evil in the sight of the Lord. God's people did evil in the sight of the Lord. It, it's repeated over and over again to the point where it just becomes a part of our language. And the diagnosis is that we do evil, and at times we don't even know it's evil. We're blind to it. It's the idea that evil becomes so mundane and ordinary that we forget what good looks like. And it's the idea that uh, you just don't look up because we're blind to it. Right? But some context is going to help because we don't like those categories. I mean, just, just imagine having a conversation with uh, someone outside of the faith and you tell them that they, ha they are doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Right? We think of evil as ISIS, you know, terrorists, not... Not me just living my life. And so some context will help. 
talk about evil and why God talks about his people that way. Uh, the Danites, they're one of the 12 tribes of Israel. They live in the north uh, of Israel. This is Samson's people. The Danites in the Bible don't get a good reputation. They are known for their disobedience and moral failures. They're evil. And one of the, the key examples is the way they failed to take the promised land. They just, they just didn't obey God's commands. That's, that's normal evil, not doing what God tells me to do. One of the other things they did is they looked at a town that looked a lot easier than the one to take, than the one God told them to take, a place called Leshem. This is in Joshua. And so they go to this town that God did not tell them to take, and they take the easy way out, and they violently kick people out of this town. They pick on the weak and violently, horrifically take it and rename it Dan. Right? They annex it. The only way to name what they're doing, right? this is what we would call evil. Taking a town that doesn't belong to you, shedding other people's blood. The only way to call anything evil is you have to have some kind of conception of what good is. Good that's grounded in reality. That's not just my preference. So the only way you can make this claim that what I do is evil at times and what you do is evil at times is if you were created for a purpose. Because evil has moral implications, but it also has to do with purpose. If we're created to do something and we do something that we're not created to do, that's evil. To do something evil in the sight of the Lord means uh, God created you to do good, to be good, to love him and love your neighbor as yourself. And so here's one of the things that helps me process this. We're going to do a little bit of really simple philosophy, but it's really helpful as you, you think about the Christmas story. So we live in a culture that lives as if there's no God, and we treat human beings like a watch. Now, a watch that is intricately and expertly crafted. Right? It's this beautiful, majestic piece of machinery, a work of art. Uh, it, it, at times, it, it just functions wonderfully. I mean, human beings are this amazing creation. Right? And what we, in our scientific world, would just say, we are human beings and we are this beautiful watch. It's intricately and, and expertly made. It looks like it has a personal touch, but we just are. We're just an accident. You know, the watch just happened to fall together and work and keep time. And so if you're talking about that kind of watch and you say that watch is a good watch because it has not lost five seconds in two years, you can only say a watch is good if you know what a watch is good for. If you know a watch is good for keeping time, then you can say it's a good watch. But if the watch is good because of whatever I want it to be, you know, that's completely subjective, then you can use the watch for whatever you want. Or this is the world we live in. Uh, you can use a watch just to say, I spent $1,000 on this watch. Look at me. I look good. <laughs> uh, you can use a watch like a hammer if you want. Because who cares? There's no purpose to it. It just is. It's going to break. It's not going to go well. I wouldn't recommend it. But the point is, if there's no design, if there's no personal purpose, you can't determine what is good or evil. Right? And that's, that's the thought pattern. Right? That's how we treat our existence. I'm just like a watch with no purpose. And what the scriptures say, uh, what 
reality is telling you and why you're so frustrated when things don't go well is that you were made for a purpose by a personal God, a personal purpose to know him, to make him known, to live a life of love, to be good. And that's why Israel is called evil because they've fallen so short of what God created them to be. Because right? Otherwise you can't use words like cruelty, abuse, malice, violence. They aren't evil, they're just someone's preference. Unless you have a God-given purpose that includes not being evil. To live for a God who is, to live lives of generosity, kindness, love, and care, to know that God personally. For our actions to matter, for God to diagnose you as evil, because we're not thinking about him. This whole world has to be created. And you and I have to be personal creatures, meant to live in a personal relationship with God. Because if that is your purpose, and you're not looking up, and you're not asking God for help, that's what God would call evil. You're, you're falling short of the purpose God designed you for. That's what we confessed this morning. Israel, for 40 years, a whole generation, has ignored the God who made them, who loved them, who rescued them over and over again. I mean, just imagine, this is Father's Day that you lived in a house for 40 years and your son never turned around to ask you for help. That's evil. Or even more painful, 40 years of marriage without conversation, without relationship, without love and delight, when the intention is to love and delight in one another. That's evil in the sight of the Lord. It's, it's a relational break. You're not living up to the personal purpose God designed you for. That's where Israel is in the Samson story. <laughs> But it's also incredibly modern. In an age where we believe we can make up our, pur our purpose and reason, and it's just up to us, as long as I'm not hurting anyone, just that whole idea that we shouldn't hurt anyone, come, that's just stealing from the biblical story. And so we live ordinary lives ignoring God. That's, that's the people that God has came to come to save, who aren't looking up, just staring down, focused on me. So, Here's the point, and this is the shock of the story. Is that against all expectations, God graciously, God the wounded lover, God the injured father, he sends Samson to be born into darkness to save his people from sin and suffering from their own evil deeds to wake them up. That's the intention. The tragedy of Samson is it doesn't change the hearts of the people. So the, the first point, when God's people don't ask for help, God graciously moves toward you, and that's the encouraging thing. God is moving toward you with this birth announcement to show you that his light, his intention, his purpose for you, to rescue you. Now, second point, how a Savior is born. This is, this is good news. How does God continue to show how bad our problem is? Um, through birth stories, through miraculous, through things that we think aren't naturally possible. A barren woman miraculously being able to conceive. That's how bad Israel's problem is. God had to make a deliverer from scratch. <laughs> and then apply that to Jesus being born of a virgin that amps it up even more. God had to make a barren mother give birth to a savior amongst the people who don't look up in order to, to rescue them. And he starts working on this Savior right from the beginning because it says the Spirit is stirring in Samson, even while he was a young man. 
See, Samson is a light born in the darkness. Literally, his name, Samson, means a little son. He's not the full son. He's a human being who's going to be a little bit of light in the darkness. And so this is the first clue. This is how bad it is. Um, birth stories in the Bible are super important. They're, riddling, they're, they're just rippling with hope and promise. They're connected. Whenever you see a miraculous birth story, it's telling you to pay attention. God's going to do something impressive. And so when Manoah's wife, who we don't get her name, is told, we're told she's barren, it's trying to get you to remember God has promised to make all things sad come untrue. He's promised to send a deliverer born of a woman to destroy evil forever. That's Genesis 3.15. It's a promise that's trying to get you to remember that life will not always suck. It will not always be full of hurt and suffering. I will not always be this evil because God will even obliterate that evil in me. It's saying, remember the promise of a Savior given way back in Genesis when all this bad stuff started. But it's telling you a picture that, that my problems are so bad, my blindness is so blind, I need outside intervention. That's the whole point of a barren mother. I need God to intervene. I can't change myself on my own. Manoah's wife could not have children unless God supernaturally intervened. Right. Second clue, this is really important. You have an angel making the birth announcement. It sounds a lot like Christmas, but it says, Behold, you are barren, you haven't had children, but you will conceive and bear a son. It's like Luke modeled the birth story of Jesus after some of these announcements. But when it comes to Samson, you have to be careful. Don't drink. Don't eat anything unclean. You're going to have a son. Don't cut his hair. He's going to be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he's going to start. He's going to begin to save Israel from the Philistines. See, this is the point of the, the, the announcement. Samson's going to start something. He's not going to finish it. But from his birth to his death, his whole life, he's supposed to be different. Live a life of faithfulness, wholly devoted to the Lord. Not perfect, he's human. But he's going to be a Nazarite. And a Nazarite is this obscure uh, vow that you could make as a follower of God in the Old Testament times. It was usually set by the person. Say, I want to show how much I love God by being super faithful to the Lord for, for a set period of time. This is my gift to him. It's the modern equivalent would probably be like the way some Christians celebrate Lent. You know, I'm going to not earn God's affection, but I'm going to show that I appreciate his love of me by living and making sacrifices. And you get the description in number six. You don't drink strong drink, no beer, no alcohol, no wine, long flowing hair, don't cut your hair, don't touch a dead human body. The idea is you're going to look different. Everyone's going to know that you are committed to the Lord. Live a life of public faith. That's what the whole point of the Nazarite vow was. Samson could not hide who he was, especially in Philistine culture. <laughs> the Philistines um, would be the ancient equivalent of a college fraternity house. Right? Whenever they find Philistine remnants in archaeological digs, they find ancient cans of Keystone Light. <laughs> I mean, it's just everything was an alcohol container. Everything. And so when Samson's told not to drink beer, not to drink wine, in a culture that loves to get drunk, that loves to party, that loves to 
not care about what God thinks, I mean, he's not going to be able to hide who he is. And so the, the application here is Samson's parents are told to start raising their child in a culture that hates the Lord, that doesn't care about the Lord, in a culture of unbelief where their kid is just going to look like the weird kid. And everyone's going to know it. And for them to figure out how to parent, that's where we get their personal interaction, this whole weird stuff, this great stuff with the burnt offering. Just think about being parenting, right? How do you raise your kids to follow Jesus when everyone else around them doesn't even care when they don't look up? Right? And so that's why Manoah is like a typical father. I'm going to be a parent. Oh, no, what do I do now? Um, what do we all go through when we find out we're going to be parents? He says, God, I need you to come back. God, please send that man of God to come and teach us how to raise our child what, what way do we teach him? What is his mission? Even though he's already got the details. I mean, I think he's a bit slow here. You're supposed to see his wife have been a little more uh, clear. But the point is, Manoah is the first person in the story to turn back and respond. He's the first person to pray. And God answers it. And then the angel comes again, and the angel doesn't appear to Manoah. He goes to the wife again. It's probably a subtle hint. Listen to your wife. But it says, for, you know, for them to become parents, to be equipped to raise Samson, to do what God called Samson to do, they had to have this experience to know that Yahweh, the Lord, the real God, is not just a figment of their imagination. The only reason you're ever going to want to raise your kids to follow Jesus, if you know whether he really is true and real. It's the same thing here. Fire goes up. And this is, they have to have this experience of, with God and his grace. And so Manoah goes and makes an offering on a rock to the Lord. He takes a young goat and some grain. It was a sin offering and a fellowship, friend, friendship offering. And it says twice that Manoah and his wife were watching. They saw. In a time when no one else sees, they saw. Fire goes up into heaven from the altar and the angel of the Lord, this mysterious figure who's, who's recalled God, but he's human too, it's strange. He just goes up in the flames and disappears. He goes into the flames of judgment and disappears. And Manoah is terrified. He said, I saw God. I think I'm going to, uh, we are going to die. We're evil. We don't deserve this. We're going to die. Alright. So just, Pause there for a minute. How do you feel when the scriptures say you are seen and what God sees about you isn't pretty? Uh, that the Lord knows you through and through. Every, every lustful thought, every angry word, every cruel uh, action and deed. That he even sees the silent treatment that you give to God at times. That's where Manoah is. If this God is going to help me, he, he should kill me. Meaning I, I should spend forever not in relationship with him because that's how I've treated him. Cut off. Right. And Manoah's wife gets it. She hears the gospel of grace. She said, if God really was against us, he wouldn't have given us good news and told us about the child. He wouldn't have accepted our sin offering 
He wouldn't have accepted our food offering, which is a, a, an offering of friendship and fellowship. Right. See, both Manoah and his wife had to have this experience that the God who is is not just my personal choice. He's as real as a, a campfire you have in your backyard. They had to see God's grace. They had to see God's forgiveness. Right. So, Summarize, God's people are doing evil. They live and we don't look up. We're, we're going to bring this to a close here. But they're blind. And Manoah and his parents have an experience with this God and equips them to, to raise their son Samson as God has called them to do. And it's a gift to those dwelling in deep darkness and unbelief that God gives an unasked for Savior, the birth of a Savior, Samson. So how do you apply that to us today? And this is where we're going to end. Who else do you know that was dedicated from birth to serve the Lord from the womb to the tomb and beyond? Right, to live a life fully devoted to, uh, to God-honoring service, to publicly live out that life to save God's people from their sins, to live on a personal mission sent by God to save a people who do not want to be saved who are blind to the reality of that God. I mean, obviously we're talking about Jesus. And there, there are so many patterns here. But some of the big ones are the birth story. John the Baptist, there are seven miraculous birth stories. John the Baptist and Jesus are the most famous. Uh, you can compare Samson to both. John the Baptist is the forerunner for the king. And Luke models this story right after that. It, it sounds like direct echoes. Right, and it's the same idea. Luke says, I interviewed all the eyewitnesses. This happened. It's real. And an angel tells Zechariah and Elizabeth, you're going to raise John the Baptist like a Nazarite from the birth, and the Spirit's going to begin working on him, even in the womb, to begin to save God's people. And then comes Jesus. An even greater announcement, the, the, the virgin birth. I mean, the power it's required to... to for Manoah's wife to give birth is amazing, but the power for Mary to give birth, to have a new human literally created from scratch by the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is supernatural power, God intervening, starting something new. Jesus is born to save you from your evil, full stop. He's not going to begin. He will do it. And so this is how God wakes us up. Ultimately, he sends Jesus with his miraculous birth announcement and you and I have to have this vivid experience with God's forgiving grace to wake us up. All right, to get to Jesus in our passage, I think you've got to look at the angel of the Lord, this mysterious human-like figure who is called God, who disappears in the flames of judgment. It's a picture of what Jesus was born to do. He was born to die on the cross for evil people, for sinners, in the sight of the Lord. And the way we describe judgment in the Old Testament is fire. And that's what we tell, we're told happened to Jesus on the cross, is that he went, he went to be the sacrifice for sin and the fires of God's wrath fell on him instead of us to set us free, to wake us up, to help us see that we are sinners and that God is for us. Because he loved us so much, he would send his only son to do that for us. It's a vivid picture of grace that we have to see personally. To look and see that God saw me all along 
And he still sent Jesus to come for you, even though we've done all kinds of evil. To respond in faith. All right. And so this is the message for right here, right now. Judgment is real. God is real. Jesus is real. And you can either have that reaction like Manoah and say, oh God, I deserve to die. You can't want someone like me. I'm too bad. I'm awful. Or you can listen to Manoah's wife and, and realize that if God was really against you, he wouldn't move towards this world. He wouldn't tell you in a public way, in the public arena of history, of who Jesus is and why he came to save you. I mean, the fact that we have this stuff recorded is God's grace towards you. Jesus is the better Samson who was born to die to save you and I from our evil. Trust him. It's that question, have you had that vivid, life-changing experience with his grace? Do you realize that this really happened? Where now you start on your journey to look back at the God who saw you first and sent Jesus to be born in the darkness. How do you live in light of that? Well, we talked about purpose. You're called to live as if you're being seen by Jesus. Right now, right now. He rose from the dead, he's ascended into heaven, and now he's watching. And because Jesus died and rose again, the way God sees you is not as someone who is evil, but as someone he sees you as his Father's Day, his beloved child in whom he has delight. You know, we, we live in a culture that doesn't teach us to look up, so we have to respond to this amazing birth, this, this good news to be intentional, saying, how do I cultivate patterns of seeing Jesus in my life, to seeing Jesus in the world, to know that this is my Father's world, it's not mine. And one of the ways you do that is to live intentionally with others who are also trying to see. That's the whole point of the church in a culture of unbelief. Manoah needed his wife, and his wife uh, and needed her husband. I mean, there were this little family unit, unit Imperfect, of course, but surrounded by Philistines. But they needed each other. It's a dim hint, of course, of what the church is supposed to be. People intentionally trying to see Jesus because he first saw us. Uh, you can also apply this uh, to Father's Day. We talk about parenting. I mean, what parent doesn't ask that question? God, how do I raise my kid in this world? A world that I know that they're going to suffer and, and I know that they're, they need to come to their own decisions about Jesus. And for us, I think one of the ways you can do this is real brief. Our, the modern equivalent for us as Christian parents for the Nazarite vow to raise our kids from birth to as long as we shall see them live is baptism. Right? To where we intentionally bring them into the community of faith, not because it saves them, but where we say, I'm going to commit to raise them, to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to be seen by Jesus, um, so that they would, in turn, see him. We're, we're, we're trusting the Holy Spirit, of course. But the idea is you're called to, to show your, your children, and if you're single and in the church, you get to show our children, too. That we are one big family, so this isn't just for parents. This is for the church. Uh, we get to show... Jesus crucified for sinners. Which means I have to show my kids I'm a sinner. I mean, I do it whether I want to or not. But I, now I get to own up to it and say, Jesus died for me too. Um, 
We, ha- we get to show our kids the resurrection of Jesus, that we have hope, that when life stinks, when life sucks, we cry about it, we're in front of them. Uh, we, we talk about the hope, the, the hope of Christmas, leading to the, uh, the hope of new creation, when all things sad really will come untrue, a new creation, new bodies. We try and tap in their imagination to get them to be excited about it. What would it be like where I'd, my first instinct is not to slug somebody my brother or sister who makes me mad. What would it be like to live in a world of love? Right. We, uh, we have to show our kids, this is visual, the ways we look for God. Let them see us open the Bible. We don't have to be super pushy. Let them see that we value Jesus. And then we have to show them grace because God showed grace to us. See, Samson The little son shows us and prepares us for Jesus. But we have been visited from the sunrise on high, as Luke would say. God himself come in the flesh. And that changes everything, beginning with his birth. So go and see if you have seen this Jesus crucified for you. Let's pray. Father, we, there's a lot here. And so I pray You would show us that you saw us first. You would show us Christ crucified again by your Holy Spirit. And if there are those here who do not know Jesus, who loves them before the foundation of the world, that you would uh, show them that it's not just a wonderful story, but it's it's wonderful because it's true. And uh, pray for the families here among us, that you would give us wisdom to show our kids uh, how to follow this Savior. So make Hope Church a a place where the light of your presence shines among us, and we get to reflect that light to our kids, to one another, and to our neighbors. Uh, So help us live faithfully as you have called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.